there's part of us that want to be protectors and look out for our children, but also seeing our place in the scope of time over thousands of years that, you know, this moment is incredibly meaningful, but also to see that in the midst of hundreds of thousands of years of human beings, who in some ways we are very insignificant and having that experience with my dad helped me feel the the connection between what what came before and helped me see who I want to be as a father which is about what comes after Welcome to the Phoenix Effect podcast with L, Kristen, and Dennis. We are three narrative trained therapists and we will be interviewing storytellers from all walks of life. Listen in as we hear the stories behind the stories of what people do to find belonging, purpose, and success. Stay tuned until the end to find out how to become a part of the show and to hear an important disclaimer about the difference between this podcast and what we do as therapists. Hey, Shane. How are you this morning? Hey, Dennis. Good. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, dude, we are so excited to have you on our um, podcast. So I know uh, Elle's well acquainted with you and um, has spoken very highly of you and um, just spoke to me about a lot of the different things that you're active in. And um, over the last week, I had a chance to to jump in a couple of your um, podcasts. One of them that I felt like I really enjoyed listening to was the Couples Therapist podcast. And I was curious if you tell me a little bit about yourself, like where you're at, where you live at, what some of your interests are, and um, if we could talk a little bit about the work um, that you've done in the past and then presently where you're at. Yeah, that's great. I um, have a private practice where I work mostly with couples. And, you know, as I was coming out of my graduate program, I found that there, I didn't think there was a lot of good resources about doing couples therapy. And I, I just wanted to find more information. So that's why I started the podcast almost six years ago now. Um, and I, and I started interviewing experts in the field of couples therapy. And it was a really good experience for me just to learn how to be a better couples therapist and to learn about trainings that were out there and things like that. And I've just continued to try to talk about couples therapy. And I've done a lot more educating of other therapists. And um, that's something I'm really passionate about. But I'm also just as part of my introduction, uh, you know, I have three kids that are 19, 12 and 10. That's a big part of my life, just keeping up with all their activities and everything like that as well. Yeah, what do you love doing with them? What are some of the activities you find yourself engaged in? Well, we love to take advantage of the New England uh, outdoors by going skiing and hiking and, you know, going to the beach. Um, My kids are really involved in their sports, you know, so a lot of it's just being an Uber driver to wherever they need to go. And I love, you know, watching their games and stuff like that, too. What's uh, one of your most challenging aspects that you currently find for yourself with being a parent? I think balancing the time that I want to spend as a parent, trying to prioritize my time, you know, like if I'm at work, I feel guilty because I'm not with my kids. And when I'm with my kids, I feel like I'm getting behind on work stuff and, oh, and, and my, you know, my wife, you know, feeling like I'm not putting enough time and energy into that. You know, there's all kinds of directions. I feel you, you can probably relate, you know, where we feel like we're being pulled 
And um, so that that's really hard for me. So I, I try to make it a priority to to spend time with them as much as I can. We might get at some point later in, in the cast into this deeper, but just just off off um, the cuff here, just was that in, how did your parents, did you feel like doing that area of balancing time and um, spending time with you? Um, that's a good question. I grew up, I was the oldest of four siblings. I was born and then three kids were born within four years. And then my, my sister's nine years younger. And so I, I feel like a, a lot of my childhood was pretty much like my dad was going to work. Um, and then my mom was just trying to keep up with all of us at home. And so I think they did a good job as far as their intentions go with that. But, um, I think as the oldest, you know, my mom probably put a lot more time into the younger siblings and I was kind of more, my role was just like to not be a burden. You know, that's part of what I found out about myself in relationships and in my own personality, just to sort of like, uh, you know, I was pretty responsible, I think, and um, didn't need a lot. Yeah. No, thanks for answering. I I, I listened to the, like episode, it was 113 in your podcast, The Couples Therapist Couch. Mm-hmm. And it was on the impact of childhood neglect on oh, relationships. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's something I talk about a lot. I found the, I found the episode 113 particularly intriguing, and I was curious if you could maybe elaborate a little bit more on on like your style of of therapy. I got a sense, and I'm even learning more about the different theories and ways to bring theories in into actual sessions. Yeah, and what I appreciated about your style is that you had a, like a more active role. You would also um, just really talk about boundaries and clear relationships and clear crossing of boundaries and um, really empower your clients and you're helping them to understand what their real desires and needs are and being able to clearly um talk about them with their spouse and be able to talk to the spouse about problematic behavior and even just telling them point blank, Hey, this, this ain't okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely the way that I work. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've found to be most important for couples is their ability to give each other feedback. And it sounds really simple, but it's, it's essential uh, in a healthy relationship because you know, I imagine so many situations just with my own wife where, you know, there's a there, there's something that's happening where all of a sudden I start to feel a flood of emotions. And oftentimes we can't make sense of what's going on in the moment, or at least I can't. And it feels like I'm a victim here and my wife is being mean to me. And, you know, I have the right to argue back or, you know, I have the right to get upset or whatever. And you know, I have very little ability to actually give her feedback in a healthy way about the things that aren't working for me, you know, and and perhaps there are times where she's not giving me feedback about the things that I'm doing. So I might be hurting her feelings and I don't even realize it. And so instead of 
instead of being able to from from a vulnerable place express those things that we want or need or that we're feeling you know oftentimes as human beings we try to make it an argument an argument about who's right or wrong let me explain to you why anybody would feel hurt about the things that you're doing to me uh right because, which is very shaming a very shaming way of approaching the conversation uh which is like why are you such an idiot that you didn't know this would be hurtful to people um, and so this is, yeah, just a, just a really short summary of some of the things that I do. You know, I think as a therapist, not only am I helping people give each other feedback, but part of what's so important is my ability to give people feedback about what they're doing to shoot their foot off in their own relationship. And it helps people get, you know, uncover what's going on emotionally underneath the surface oftentimes. But one of the things that that's so important to me about what I do in couple, and I, this is why I love working with couples, is that I can sort of see what's going on it between people. And I, I want to establish with both individuals that I'm listening to them and I have compassion for them. And I understand that in so, there's some reason why it makes sense what they're experiencing and what they're going through. And how does it make you feel that you're destroying your relationship? You know, so that I, I can sort of like, while I'm giving them that compassion, tell them the truth about what I think those problematic behaviors are, because it's going to be hard to make progress in, unless we get that on the table. And obviously, it's hard, right? If I if I don't have uh, a good sense of the person I'm working with, uh, they could get very defensive and upset, and uh, you know, just like they probably do with their partner. And so it's a it's really a dance, I think, to navigate how to stay in connection with them. And really, really, I, I'll use the word love that, you know, that I, I as a human being, that I love this person I'm working with, and I really care about their success and their relationship. And I'm going to be a, a mature adult and not beat around the bush with the information that I'm seeing so that they can have that to try to improve their relationship. Hmm. No, thanks. The I think the other the other piece too I noticed in your podcast is that in this particular episode you were working with individuals who had experienced like an, a lot of neglect and you were trying to get blame correctly reassigned to where it belonged because the person was putting the shame that you had spoke about earlier today even um, on themselves and you were doing it through a method you called inner child work. So yeah. Something and I'm like just that. curious, is that still one of your is that a primary tool that you um, currently use? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. But you know, when we're growing up, it's just scary as a child growing up in the world, and not feeling like you're in control of a lot of things that are going on around you. Uh, so if, if a child grows up in an environment where one of their parents is physically abusive, um, already they're feeling really afraid and scared. And now the, per, the very person who's supposed to make them feel safe and who's supposed to value them and make them feel worthy in the world is making them feel they're doing things wrong and they're, you know, uh, they're the problem. And, and so, and, and all of us probably want to throw our kids out the window sometimes, but we stop ourselves because we have appropriate shame. That appropriate shame stops us from doing those things, uh, behaving in that way. Uh, 
So when a parent doesn't have appropriate shame is when they might be either emotionally or physically abusive with their children. And um, the, what happens is that the shame gets transmitted to the child. The child ends up taking that and carrying that. And I would say even emotional neglect, like even if you grow up in a family where your parents are well-intentioned, they're good people, they have, you know, they're trying to provide for your needs, but they don't have any ability to talk about emotions or, you know, nobody asks you how you're doing. Nobody knows how to check in with you. If if you get hurt or say you're afraid, they say, oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry. Like, don't talk too much about that. Um, you know, a child will begin to take on shame related to that an emotional neglect that what's wrong with me that I'm feeling afraid uh, you know, if I just didn't feel afraid, then I wouldn't be such a burden on my parents. You know, to to be a good little boy means that I shouldn't talk about these things that I'm struggling with. So that's the message, right? The parents don't mean to mm-hmm. impart that message on the child. Um, but the child grows up, and this happens, um, there, there's a way in which this happens in our society, more so to men than it does to women too, right? Right. Boys are taught from a young age that they should be tough, that they shouldn't talk about emotions, they're not supposed to feel emotions. Um, but that the child grows up and um might really struggle in their relationships, obviously, because they have a sense of shame about feeling their own emotions or expressing their own emotions or being vulnerable yeah. in their relationship. And um, so one of the things that I have found to be most important and, you know, something like the inner child work and there are other ways of doing it is helping that adult person at that point move into compassion for the child. Because a lot of people will come into therapy and they'll say, oh, my parents were great. You know, they had great intentions. They, they were fine. And I was just, you know, I was just a troublemaker when I was a kid. I was just the, the problem, blah, blah, blah. And it seems subtle, right? It doesn't seem like a big deal to to characterize it that way. But when we really get into it, uh, for a lot of people, there's so much emotion connected to that. When when we really take a look at that and we help them to see that they were just a little child going through that situation who was probably scared and afraid and sad, and it's okay to feel those emotions, you know, it's part of it is helping their mature, healthy adult self move into compassion for that child part of themselves. And that, and that can be really valuing, you know, for them as an adult, they, they're, what they're doing is really moving into uh, compassion for themselves and building self-esteem and, and worthiness in the world. I really like how you put all of that. I think it blends so well with the type of work that we do. Um, it's like you take the inner child work And then you blend it with telling the truth in present day, how it's impacting you in a way that makes both couples equal. And I think the emphasis on we both are struggling with our inner child is is really powerful in what you do. And then bringing to light how those subtle things are impacting your current relationships is what is bringing so much healing. And that's part of like how we do it, but we do it with a story. do you have a story that you could share with us for our podcast today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we were getting ready to do the podcast here and all of you asked me to come up with a story, um, 
I I just felt like I um should talk about my dad passing away, uh, which happened a little over a year ago at this point. Uh, and it's something that I I ended up I, I've gone to a lot of years of therapy in my life, but I wasn't going to therapy. Um and I ended up going back to therapy, I think while he was going through all of that while he was still alive, but, but then like after, mostly after he had passed away. But that being said, I feel like it's something I haven't talked about a lot. And so I'm looking at this as an opportunity to sort of share my story and talk about it. Uh, Cause I think I've learned a lot from that experience and I'm sure a lot of people can relate um, if they've lost people as well. But what happened was that it was actually Christmas Day two and a half years ago. So um, this Christmas, it'll be three years uh, that he 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 had a lot of pain in his stomach. You know, up to that point, he had been relatively healthy, 73, uh, 72 years old. Uh, you know, um, everything was fine as far as he knew. And he had a huge stomach pain on Christmas Day, so much so that my parents had to go to the hospital uh, on Christmas day. And within, uh, 48 hours, we knew, you know, we, we didn't think that he was going to survive. Uh, they said it was really bad. He had a huge amount of cancer in his colon and, um, they had to do emergency surgery just to, to, uh, open up the blockage that was happening there. And so he was in the hospital. So for the couple weeks after that, it was sort of like, it was just keeping him stable. He was in the hospital. They were coming up with a plan. And, uh, what we what we found out was that he had, a you know, stage five cancer, which means that it was like the furthest along and they did a good job of stabilizing him. And he started being able to walk around and he, you know, and, they they said, you know, with this type of thing, he'll probably have somewhere between six months to five years. We're going to get him on a program of chemotherapy, you know, and basically we're just buying time. And um, obviously that's incredibly shocking for anyone to hear, you know. Um, it was really hard to wrap my mind around and not knowing, you know, would it be only six more months that I have with him? Um, luckily, I think it was probably about a month or six weeks later, like he was able to go home. He um, he had a colostomy bag, meaning that his, his waist was going directly from his stomach into a bag. Um, and he was on a special diet and stuff like that, but and he had to go to chemotherapy once every two weeks. So, um, but, but he was able to go home. He was able to sort of live a normal life for a while. And I decided, you know, it, it, it felt, it was almost like um, feeling like you're in the twilight zone kind of after a few months, it was sort of like, well, maybe, maybe he'll, you know, maybe he'll have like five years. Maybe he'll have, maybe he'll, even beat the odds. Maybe they'll have even more than that. Like maybe, you know, it looks like, you know, the, the chemotherapy, it was hard to watch in some ways because the chemotherapy was really wiping him out. He'd be like super tired. He'd be, um, 
you know, have a few days after chemotherapy where he, where he wouldn't be able to do much or even want to talk much. Um, and, but then, you know, he'd have maybe a week before the next treatment where he was walking around a lot. He was interactive. He was, you know, felt pretty good. And, um, I made a decision that I was going to go home for a month, for a whole month. And I, you know, um, I live in New England. He lives in Nebraska. They live in Nebraska. That's where I grew up. And so, you know, I had to, to go away from my practice. I had to go away from my kids, but I made this decision. I'm just going to go stay with my parents, my mom and my dad. Uh, I'm going to go stay at their house for a month because maybe this is the last I'm getting emotional talking about it, but that that was the last time that I ended up having with him. And um, <clears throat> it was during COVID. So uh, I had, to, I flew back to Nebraska and I actually, had, I got an Airbnb for a whole week where I stayed by myself just to make sure that because because he was really sensitive to uh you know any sort of diseases at that like cold getting a cold or anything at that point uh and it was right in the midst of covid so uh you know i luckily was able to work remotely uh, you know some of the time i kind of cut my load in half pretty much at that just for that month but i was still able to do some work stuff and, you know, after that week, I, I went and I stayed with my parents and, um, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, it's not something a lot of 40 year olds probably get to do, which is like, kind of like remove yourself from your life and go back and live with your parents and just feel like, you know, uh, I was able to be present with them. And, and there was a lot of it you know, in some ways, a lot of our issues that we have had, and we've had some, um, you know, weren't, weren't as prevalent. It was almost like everyone's treating each other with more respect. Everyone's treating each other with more consideration. And, you know, I remember it, it but, but it was just nice just being in the day-to-day -day routine you know, where I'd wake up in the morning, we'd, we'd all eat some breakfast. You know, I'd usually go work for a few hours and then we'd come back, you know, my mom and I would get dinner ready. We ready. And, uh, you know, we'd watch wheel of fortune that they watched every day and it was just nice. And, and, you know, my mom is much more of a talkative person and she's always like, you know, leading the conversation. And my dad's much like, much more of a passive person, uh, you know, and he's never been very emotionally available, but he's like a really kind person. Uh, you know, he, it's something that, uh, you know, I would probably, I probably have a lot of the similar traits where in my personal relationships, I'm not very talkative. I'm, I'm not very, I don't tend to be very open. I'm, you know, I'm working at it, but you know, he just had, he's just a very warm person, easygoing, easy to be around. And so I just love, love spending time with him. But, um, I remember this day he would always take, he never took a nap before, but like during this time he, he would, he started taking a nap every afternoon. 
Um, and I remember I, I like my mom asked me to like bring him a glass of water or something. He was just waking up from his nap. So he was still in bed. I took him a glass of water and I was just sitting on the bed with him. And um, my mom ended up coming in and being part of the conversation. And it, it was really spontaneous, but it was like, he, he told me how he was proud of me. And he, like, I, I told him what a great dad that I thought he was. And it was like the moment that you would always hope for with your parents to happen, you know, like, I just feel so um, grateful that I had the 16 months from when we found out to when he actually passed away to have those moments with him. That was, that, that was the one significant one, you know, where we ended up just like hugging each other and just bawling and being both of us in tears and bawling. And I, the only, I'd only seen my dad cry maybe one other time in my entire life. And it just felt like really meaningful. And, um, like when people talk about feeling like you have some sense of closure, I feel like, you know, I had that feeling with him and, and he ended up living another, like another year after that. And I, and I did go home a couple of times after that, never for like a month long. But like, I just felt at that point, like I was ready for whatever this was going to look like and whatever was going to happen. And um, just at peace with my relationship with him. And I had to do a lot of self-reflection about some of the things, you know, I think one of the important things as mature adults for us to do is to hold the idea that human beings are not perfect the human beings are imperfect and that applies to our parents and that applies to our children, obviously. And that applies to ourselves and that you, you have to hold the idea, you know, I, I, or I'll speak from the first person. I have, I have to hold the idea that there was so much more that I wanted from my dad throughout my life. There was so much more I wanted emotionally. There was so much that I don't think he was capable of giving me emotionally. And at the same time, I think he loved me more than anything in the world. And I think he cared about, loved all of us kids more than anything in the world and, and would do anything for us. And the way that he was able to express emotions was just the way that he was able to. And so I think, you know, part of what I always did, part of what I think a lot of people do is really idealize their parents to think like, you know, that I, that they're, you know, that my performance in the world is what will make my parents love me more, you know, something like that, where I'm seeking my, you know, my parents are the perfect ones. And if I could just get the love and appreciation that I deserve from them, then that means that I'm worthy and deserving in the world. And I think part of understanding that everybody is imperfect and makes mistakes is part of what can help you truly love and truly feel connected to others. That, that it doesn't matter 
whether my parents give me approval. It doesn't matter whether they show love in the way that I I want them to. It doesn't matter if they make mistakes or can be hurtful in the things that they say. That doesn't take away from how much they care about me and love me. They're still flawed people. You know, and it's sort of like how we feel with our kids, right? Our kids can throw temper tantrums. Our kids can uh, tell us they hate us. Our kids can, you know, do all kinds of things. And we have a level of compassion and understanding for them as parents. We know that doesn't really mean that they don't care about us and they don't love us. We're still going to take care of them. We still, we have a lot of understanding for their mistakes, but I think to get to a healthy relationship with another adult, including your parents, is to move into compassion for their mistakes and to move into acceptance of things that you might not get from your parents. And that was something huge that I learned going through this process and feeling like, you know, for my, for so much of my life as a child, my dad was there to protect me. Like he was just the ultimate person who I knew who I looked up to and I admired. And that's all good. That's all healthy uh, to some extent. Uh, but to, to be there. So a year after I spent that month, month with them, I was home again and it was one, you know, his last days. And we knew, we knew it was, it, that was coming and to be there to, to lift him from the bed and literally hold him over the toilet as he was going to the bathroom to feel like that was a person who did, who did that for me. That was a person who took care of me and to feel like here I am being able to um, hold him and help him through the, these things when he needs it. You know, I think there was something very, very spiritual for me in that feeling of uh, equality among human beings, right? Whether it's your child, whether it's your parent, whether it's a stranger, whether, you know, there's this sense that uh, everyone deserves compassion. Everyone deserves to be taken care of. And there are times when we can give the compassion and take care of others, you know? So part of it is the recognition that everyone struggles and, and has a hard time with that in some ways. And I can give them compassion, but I can also give myself compassion for when I'm struggling and I'm not going to be able to at some, someday I'm not going to be able to do the things that I want to do for my kids anymore. And that's okay. Uh, and there's a really, uh, beautiful song that, um, I, I, I found like a, a month ago, it's called monsters. And, uh, I think it's by James Blunt, but I heard I heard a contestant a contestant of uh, American Idol sing it, um, and it it says it, it's the, the words in the song are it's my turn to to chase the monsters away, and it's like it says um, we're just two grown men saying goodbye. It's somebody saying goodbye to their father, and it's like we're just two grown men saying goodbye. No need to forget. Um, I, I know your mistakes and you know, mine, um, but it's about like, it's my turn to chase the monsters away. And it's just, it's really, it was really helpful for me that, you know, I think that there's part of us that want to be protectors and look out for 
our children, but also seeing our place in the universe, seeing our place in the scope of time over thousands of years that, you know, this moment is incredibly meaningful to, to, to be able to be a human being at this present moment, to be able to see, to witness the world and to have an influence on other people, but also to see that we are just one in the midst of hundreds of thousands of years of human beings who, you know, and that in some ways we are very insignificant on this small planet floating around in the universe. Like to me, it's, it's all one in the same and it feels so important. And having that experience with my dad sort of helped me feel the, the connection between what, what came before and helped me see who I want to be as a father, which is about what comes after and um, how I want to be in the world as an influence to those who are to come. Thank you for sharing that, Shane. Yeah. You, that was so vulnerable and you had so many beautiful things to say. I feel really honored that you would share all of that with us. You were in such a beautiful flow. Um, and there are so many things that I could draw on but one thing that you are said that kind of is sticking out to me is the difficulty in receiving compassion for yourself while it's easy to give it to others. And as you were telling the story, I'm hearing the story of the oldest of his siblings being the one to fly out multi-states, to be there month after month, to even spend a whole week in isolation to care for his dad, it just reverberates the sense of responsibility. Mm -hmm. You kept showing up. So you were available for those moments that you got with your dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. It makes me want to think more about that connection to, you know, who, who I, what, who I became as an adult who I am and how that's connected to, you know, my place as a child growing up. You tell the story like an oldest child that right, right. had to care for people. That's a good observation. He yeah. didn't want to be a burden. So he stayed in an Airbnb for a week. He held his dad over the toilet if he needed to do that, whatever it took. Yeah. And full disclosure, uh, you know, to give cre credit where credit is due, my siblings also did a lot of that too. But what you're talking about is, um, I think, really important and meaningful insight that um, is true for sure. And so it's good for us to be mindful of that, you know, um, for me as somebody who doesn't want to be a burden on other people, you know, uh, maybe that, that that is certainly part of why I felt compelled to go see my parents, go try to help them, um, be there for them. You know, the, the, I think I can imagine there being situations, other situations where maybe there's a, 
a 40 year old in the same, in the same situation as I was. And they like quit their job and, you know, give up on all their own dreams and move in with their parents and like just totally devote their attention, time and attention to what they need, which would, to me would be sort of the flip side of the coin of, uh, I'm not allowed to be a person and a human being for myself, which would be something for that person to be aware of, to be mindful of. Cause there, again, there are really good things about that. And there are things that might not be beneficial for yourself or others in that. Yeah. Yeah. Even as you say that, I'm thinking about how we even started this conversation and the tension that must have been there for you to spend a whole month away from your family and clients work and how that responsibility for all these different areas of life must have been so present during that month, even though you were, you were there for a reason and a purpose yeah, totally. And that makes me think about what we were talking about toward the beginning, which is like that that feeling, and maybe the, I don't know if this is about being an oldest child or about some other part of my psychology, but it's like that feeling when I'm with my parents, I'm feeling guilty when I'm FaceTiming my kids that I'm not there. And then, but also like, you know, when I went back home feeling guilty, like, oh my gosh, my parents are going through this and I can't be there all the time it's a struggle. And I think, you know, it's an opportunity to just notice, notice those emotions and be present with them and, you know, give ourselves understanding and compassion for doing the best we can. I, I think I was really um, struck Shane, honestly, with, uh, I want to be careful even how I say this, because I fe even feel like a little bit of a conflict. I don't want to push into an area that might even be disrespecting towards your family, but you describing um, your current self caring for your father, it felt so tender. It felt so um, like intimate that time you're with him, like really caring for him. And I felt a little bit of anger inside of me for a moment just because I didn't feel like that was what you had received mm -hmm. that you really needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, yeah. And I, I appreciate your disclaimer, obviously, you know, but I, I think that the anger that you're feeling is connected to the compassion that you feel for, for me. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think I'll, I'll do the thing that people do in therapy where I'll say, you know, I think my parents did a great job. Uh, I think they, you know, they did a wonderful, amazing job raising me as a, as a kid. And, and as an adult, I don't have to leave it at just that. I can actually be honest about some of the things that I wasn't getting. Just like all of us, you know, uh, you know, no families are perfect. And, um, I appreciate that. I feel, I feel like, uh, that's the anger is the compassion that you feel for me. And, and I really like your, your ability to honestly look at, at what you, what you didn't have. Cause I was, I was feeling compassion. I was feeling sadness for that loss that you had. 
and and desiring that you would have been able to experience from your father what you were able to offer him. And I found it it's sad that it was at the very end that you were able to um, to have that experience. And I just wish that that had actually been much earlier in your life. And I wish that it had actually been something that he had provided you in those early, early years. What a difference yeah. that might have made in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, it was such a gift that you received at the end. And I'm so happy for you that you got it. Most people won't. But I am kind of wondering with Dennis, like, how did that impact you not getting it until you were 40? Well, to be honest, you know, I think there have been a lot of years of struggle, you know, with my parents about the decisions that I've made in my life about, you know, just not coming back to visiting them enough or, you know, whatever normal things parents complain about. But so I've probably held resentment and, you know, I think part of my process in therapy over the, like going to therapy as a client, what I've learned in my own therapy is that I can't change who, who they are. Uh, I can set boundaries for myself. I can make requests. I can say how I feel or what I want. But to some extent, that's not going to get me where I want to be. And part of growing up is letting go of what we hope for from our parents and appreciating them and loving them and caring about them anyway. Now, I know there are situations where the healthiest choice is to not have any contact anymore or something like that, but that might be a different conversation. But what I'm talking about is, you know, dealing with the normal struggle and conflict and uh, resentment and recognizing that uh, that doesn't mean that they love me any less or that, you know, I'm not willing to have a relationship with them and, you know, not waiting for them to show up in order for me to say I'm enough in the world. And so if I'm understanding you right, the gift it gave you was the ability to hold that people are very complex. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're able to see all the good and the bad in both your parents and your children and in your clients. Not a lot of people can do that. I've gone to a lot of therapy. Um, <laughs> and, well, and it, so by, by the time I got that with my dad and I had that situation at that point, it's icing on the cake because if we, we, it's, it's an ongoing process for each one of us, I think just going through our life, but I guess all of us are still going to have some shred of hope for something like that. The reason why you were able to have that sense of closure is because you allowed your life to be severely disrupted and you, you put in the work and you made yourself available. It didn't just come to you. It wasn't just like served to you on a platter. Um, 
you, you made some really hard choices and some big sacrifices and did some hard work to get yourself set up to be in a position where that exchange could have even happened. Cause if you would have never taken that trip, likely you would have never had that moment or that interaction with your dad that has obviously so impactful, um, and such a need of closure for the, the totality of the relationship that you've had with him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Such a good point. I think that's true in any area of our life or any relationship. Mm -hmm. Like if you put time and attention into it, you will likely see the results. But, and I can't you know. help but observe that in so many aspects that you shared with us. As a professional, you put so much time, energy, and effort into the things that you care about. You do it with your kids. You showed up for your parents. You're all in, in so many things. And like that is possible because the oldest child holding the responsibility, like you know, these things that we grew up in and the struggle, it is also becomes part of the strength that we hold and that we carry. I think that part of the challenge is deciding what we're going to say no to, right? For all of us, like there's only so much time and life energy that we have to put into everything. And it's a choice. But oftentimes we feel stuck or like, like we're a victim in our own life or a passenger in our own life. You know, and I think like if I want a better relationship with my kids, then I might have to give up certain career goals that I have. And that's okay. It's not because I'm a victim. It's because I'm making an empowered choice to do that. And so I think it's about grieving, the grieving process of letting go of certain things um, so that I have the capacity to put the time and energy into other things. I think, I think that's was one of my main, my question. I was kind of, I was curious about Shane is that, you know, like you, you had even spoke in the beginning about that you were recognizing that maybe your father just wasn't capable and, um, of giving you what, what you had needed. And in my case, I've noticed that my parents like were capable and they just chose not to. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yet I'm still faced with a choice. Do I harbor these resentments and how do I get out of this resentment? You know? And, um, and I'm wondering what that process was like for you, especially as you're talking about like grieving and sorrow how did you come to that place where you rested at with your parents after having potentially been where they may have been capable? They chose to have four kids in four years. These were all their choices. And how were you able to move from a place of being resentful towards being um, loving and kind and feeling connection again with your parents? Well, I would say that I'm still working on it. Um I think that when I had my own kids, I think there was a lot that changed um, that was helpful with that because it, it's, it's one thing, you know, to endure, like to, to experience something yourself. But like once my own kids came into the picture and uh, I think through that time, you know, 
a lot of my time and energy was focused on the kids and I was learning what it meant to be a parent and what how, how I wanted to be as a parent and seeing how challenging it was and seeing how many mistakes I was making with my kids. And, you know, that, that process really helped me to have a lot more understanding and compassion. And I'm sure it helped that I was like a therapist and going to a lot of my own therapy and sort of thinking about the world in that way that, you know, thinking about letting go of things that I wanted or moving into compassion for limitations that my parents have, just like all human beings, you know. And that's where we end today. We are so glad you joined us. We want to invite you to get involved in the show. First, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. That way, you don't miss out on a future episode. Second, if you'd like to learn more about joining us and sharing your story, send us an email at phoenixeffectpodcast at gmail.com. That's phoenixeffectpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast and website represents the opinions of Elizabeth Key, Kristen Boskell-John, and Dennis Roberts, and their guests to the show and website. The content here should not be taken as medical or psychological advice. This content is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapist-client relationship.